Greetings ladies and mental gents and welcome to the batch video for the web novel How to Space from the website Royal Road. In this video we will be doing chapters 245 to 248 and as always I hope that you enjoy and if you do please consider supporting the channel. Chapter 245 Pay Back Your Dues Sin City Tyria sat down at one of the tables at the back of the tavern where it offered him a full view of the place and is also its entrance. He ordered some food and drinks from the serving slave and slowly nursed a mug of ale that was ordered. There was barely a crowd in the tavern. Most of the patrons were merchant guards of mixed races. Not long, the doors opened up and Hitsu and Lok and Wolf walked in. They quickly spotted Tyria and went over to join them. Anything new? Tyria asked as they settled down. Hitsu shook his head before replying, We can't enter the inner city. Can't even bribe the guards to let us in. I think we need to go to Plan B. Plan B was to sneak in at night and infiltrate the inner city. Tyria nodded. Let's wait for the rest before we decide what to do. They sat there and ate in silence while waiting for the rest of the team to gather. Only when they finished the meal did the rest return. Altiad, Taval, and Young joined them and ordered some drinks and food before sharing the information they gathered. All the gates are too heavily guarded, Altiad said with a mouthful of grilled grass rodent, and there are no tall buildings next to the walls. We can't jump across nor look into the inner city. We saw one of the merchant wagons entering the inner city, Young said. Looks like they're transporting gold to the inner city. If we want to sneak in, we either go over the walls or we stow away in the treasure wagons. Tyria frowned while the others nodded. How I wish we could just use the UAV coverage here. Saves us all the trouble. Everyone laughed while Hitsu said, Well then, uh, won't we be out of business? Alright, we continue to keep an eye out, see if we can find a chance or more ways to enter the inner city undetected. Tyria whispered, Same as before, keep your tracks clean. Everyone nodded when Young raised his mug. For Doth! For Doth! Haven, Draco Air Base, Terminal 1. Liz hugged a large bag that looked around curious eyes with her surroundings inside the strange tall ceiling of the building that she was in. One side of the building was lavishly made out of glass. She stood several steps from the glass walls, afraid that she would be in big trouble if she accidentally breaks the glass. Her eyes went wide as she looked at the large looming oblong shape on the long wings behind Toad to the front of the building where she could see several people fussing around the flying construct. She found herself being summoned to the headmaster's office in the morning and was told to pack enough clothes for a week as she would be going someplace to help with an investigation. Magister Thorne next told her to be ready within an hour as they were rushing for time. An hour later, Liz sat on the vehicle and Thorne, and they whizzed away and dropped to the strange building. She looked at Thorne, who was also watching the flying construct with the excitement of a three-year-old. Headmaster, are we going to ride inside that? Liz asked nervously, even though she'd seen how the planes flew around the city and even heard of legends of flying ships and islands. She couldn't really put her trust in a flying construct made out of wood and metal. My, yes, Thorne smiled. It'll be fun. Um, okay, Liz stammered. Where are we going? My dear, we're going to the city of Orwell's Point, Thorne winked. Oh, here's the rest. Liz turned and saw her friend, Evelyn, also toting a bag, next to a female human as she recognized the doctor who gave her weird vibes. The soldier appeared from the side and said, If you could all follow me, we can board the plane now. 
Thorn nodded and picked up his bag and looked like a sack, while the female human dragged a strange silver rectangular box with wheels behind her. Liz went up to Evelyn and held her hand. How are you? Evelyn gave a small smile. I'm feeling better, just tired mostly. Randy? Liz looked concerned at Evelyn. Do you know why you called along? I think they need our skills at finding out some things that are happening in the city they want us to go to. Evelyn replied slowly. She appeared to be out of breath after the sentence, and Liz quickly gave her shoulder for Evelyn to lean against. Are you okay? Liz frowned worriedly. I think you'd better stay behind and rest. I will tell the- No, I'm alright. Evelyn patted Liz's head. It seems that Dante had damaged my soul, and with him gone, the connection with him is severed. I'll be fine in time, Evelyn assured Liz. Don't worry. As they passed through the opening in the glass walls, the loud warning and hum of machinery assailed their ears. A small troop of soldiers were standing in a file, with bulging backpacks and gear all over their bodies, waiting for the next plane. I am Sergeant Aztez. A burly soldier strolled up to Dr. Sharon and matched the thorn and saluted. 101st ATI, Claymore 2, we will be in charge of your security at Orwell's Point. Lead the way, Sergeant, Dr. Sharon replied after returning the salute. We talk more on board. Claymore 2's sergeant nodded and gave order for the rest of his team who followed behind the civilians on board the plane. Not long, the plane taxied onto the runway and took off into the skies. Orwell's Point Captain Joseph reread the stack of reports and statements regarding the raids of the two meetings and arrests made. He sighed and rubbed his eyes, thinking that this war was just gone more complicated with demons and cultists now thrown into the equation, as if the city was not chaotic enough. Sir, an aide knocked on his door and struck his head in. HQ just sent word that the investigation team has left Draco Airbase. They'll be landing here in roughly five hours. Thank you. Joseph nodded and picked up the statement report that he was rereading halfway. Eight men were found and arrested in the merchant district, with three deaths amongst them caused by the demons. No marines or civilians were injured, but the whole city now knows that there are demonic cultists in the city. The other raid at the warehouse area was not so lucky, as the illegal gathering had dispersed when the marines raided the place and found it empty. Joseph decided stricter measures were needed to prevent another incident like this from happening, especially from the statements of the arrested that they were plotting some kind of uprising. Now Joseph waited for more information from the mouths of those plotters under interrogation. Once they break, his marines will respond immediately to arrest all those that were involved. Joseph frowned as he stood up and looked out the window towards the docks. He knew that there was a time was almost up here as the Empire will grow suspicious and send ships or dragons down to investigate why their ships are not returning from Orwell's Point. Damn it, Joseph cursed. He needed to pacify the city before the real enemy came knocking at his door, or he and his troops would be facing both an external and internal threats. Five more hours, eh? He collected all the reports and placed them into a folder for the team that was on the way to read. Seagull 03 en route to Orwell's Point. Two hours more, came the announcement from the pilot's cockpit. Liz sighed as a whole body was starting to ache in the uncomfortable buckled seats. They were seated leaning against the walls of the flying contraption facing each other, but the space between the passengers had stacks and crates of boxes strapped down, limiting movement. She looked over to a side where Evelyn had fallen asleep while the human doctor and Magister Thorne were in some heated discussion. 
Opposite her sat a soldier who was supposed to escort them, and she noticed that all of them appeared to be asleep, which led her to wonder how could anyone sleep in such an uncomfortable and noisy setting. Evelyn yawned from the side and rubbed her eyes. Are we there yet? No, two more hours at least, Liz replied. Are you fine? Yes, better now that I've taken a nap, Evelyn replied as she stretched out much as she could in a seat. Hey, hey! Liz and Evelyn looked over at the stack of crates to see one of the soldiers gesturing them. You girls from the hero's party, yes? The soldiers had to shout loudly to repeat himself over the roar of the aircraft engines. Liz nodded uncertainly, not sure why the soldier was asking such a question. Hey, you know, my brother was in that town with the hero destroyed. The next shouts of the soldier shocked Liz and Evelyn. They did not know what to say after hearing that they just looked at each other in silence. You know that town where they said they had cultists and demons inside? The soldier continued to shout across. Yeah, you guys came from the request of the adventurous guild, right? Liz and Evelyn just kept silent as they did not want to have a confrontation with the soldier. Hey, why did your party destroy half the town? Liz frowned as she recalled the quest they received from the guild, and after reaching the town, they were said there were cultists dabbling with demonic magic. They investigated and found several shrines that appeared to be used for occult practices. Dante, at the time, had said that he had sensed most of the people in the town were tainted and he started the cleansing. In the end, more than half of the town was destroyed by his efforts and hundreds purged. The Adventurous Guild even complimented them on their work and they were even hailed as heroes to the people. Liz at the time was still naive to believe that the words of her own misguided sense of justice. Is that why the higher-ups are sending you girls here? The soldier continued to taunt them. Cause you are all great demon hunters. He twitched his fingers in an exaggerated gesture when he yelled the word. Demon hunters. Enough! The sergeant who applied the sleeping suddenly yelled out. Watch your words, they are our responsibility for this mission. The soldier gave a shrug and a smile back as he conceded to his sergeant, but he turned and eyed the two uncomfortable girls opposite him and made two-fingered gesture on his eyes and pointed back at them while mouthing the words, I have my eyes on you. Liz shuddered at the gesture and turned away. Evelyn, do you think we were wrong back then? Did we not fight for justice and the people? Evelyn appeared to shrink into herself as she replied. Honestly, I don't know. All I know is that I love Dante and he's gone now, even if what he did was wrong or evil. But to me, he was always the light in my heart. She smiled at Liz. He was always inside me, even if our connection was severed. I do not blame him for what he's done to me. But what about the people that he killed and hurt? Liz asked. Their blood is on our hands too. Well... I guess we can only make amendments, Evelyn smiled, to pay back everything. Liz sat quietly as she pondered Evelyn's reply. I guess it's our due to pay back everything that we've done so far. Evelyn smiled wider. Yes, everyone must pay for what they have done. End of chapter. Chapter 246 Devil is in the Details Uncharted Forest Site of Battle with the Hero the orcs wearily made their way through the forest into a massive circular clearing. The previous traces of the battle were mostly vanished and replaced with new growth spouts. The orcs nosed around and trampled the area in search of something as the humans stood in the middle of the clearing. Ex-naval security spaceman Senior Aaron stood surrounded by orcs with his eyes closed. His left hand held a golden trinket that was shaped like a wiggly worm. 
He slowly rotated and the spot as if sensing something before he snapped his eyes open. This way, he growled as the orcs who obediently followed him. They followed a small trail of destruction which the forest had already started to reclaim. Moss and other ferns grew on the barks of the rotting and uprooted tree trunks. The small trail led to before the stone slopes of the mountainous range, and Aaron pointed up to the side of the mountain, where the dark cave could be seen. Up there, the orcs argued and cursed amongst themselves before some of them clearly lost some kind of choosing game, slung coils of woven vines and made their way up the steep slopes. After some time, the climbers managed to reach the cave and drop the ropes and vines down after securing them. Aaron climbed deftly up the ropes after the orcs, following them into the cave. The original climbers grunted and growled as the cave was only barely five meters deep. Aaron placed his palm on the trinket against the back of the wall of the cave and smiled before ordering the orcs, Dig. Dirt and rocks flew as the orcs threw themselves into a vengeance against the cave walls. As the sun dipped down, the orcs had managed to deepen the cave by a few meters. It took them two days before Aaron ordered them to stop. He went down on his hands and knees, sweeping away the loose soil before exposing a withering slump. He smiled and held the trinket close to the heart and whispered, I found it, master. Orwell's Point Marine Stronghold Liz silently admired the handiwork of the Beast Girl that had just joined them the day before. The Beast Girl held out a swinging crystal pendant and allowed it to spin around in the aerial map taken by the dragons. The pendant spin slowly stabilized as it came to an area where demonic energies were detected before becoming unnaturally still as it pinpointed a spot on the map. The Beast Girl's eyes opened and she sighed as the amount of concentration and magic focus was needed was very high as evidenced by the fatigued look and sweat plastered all over her girl. There should be something bad here, Kagar said tiredly as she wiped the sweat off of her face with a towel provided by Liz. Captain Joseph nodded and turned his aid and gave him an order who scurried off immediately. Joseph was impressed by the girl's divination abilities. When she came over in one of the flights, he was a skeptic at her skills after seeing her so young and cute. She later asked the troops to paste those talismans of hers all over the city, and he realized that the work similar to the cameras and monitoring systems of the humans. Gagar admitted that she borrowed the idea from the humans as it allowed her to cast a net over a vast area rather than having to perform a large-scale area spell to encompass the city, which required a lot more magic power. Using this net, she was able to detect traces of the so-called unclean magic as the energies made her fail that way. Once she located any large traces, she would immediately inform the officers in the map room and they would send troops down to investigate. In this way, they had found a couple sites where the traces of occult activities had taken place. All these occult and demon cultists had baffled everyone who was wondering what objective of these cultists were after. Liz followed the soldiers down to the new location and discovered by Gagar as she was in charge of providing magic support. A couple of the Claymore 2 soldiers followed her as they followed the troops through the streets and surrounded a nondescriptive-looking two-story building at the center of a quiet street of the residential district. The soldiers surrounded a small house where a small stone wall surrounded a small plot of herbs. They crouched low and waddled their way nearer to the house when suddenly the building made a wooden stone exploded and a towering monstrosity smashed its way out of the ruins of bricks and mortar. Liz watched from the street away while other residents were evacuated back further as she frowned. 
wondering what was the purpose of the cultists. The thunder sticks of the soldiers roared and a slurpy yellow pus erupted from the wounds of the giant worm-like monster with tiny humanoid baby arms and legs that were clawing against the air. Liz was about to cast her magic when a loud whoosh roared out. She saw a fiery smoke trail flying in from the soldier with the tube on his shoulder. It hit the giant worm with the crying baby face and made a sick slap with the white meaty flesh exploded, painting the entire area in smelly pus. The demonic monster toppled over with the loud curses from the soldiers, who some even vomited over the sight of the smell of the blood and pus. Liz caught a sniff of the smell and backed off, letting the soldiers handle the fallout of the demon while she waited with the other officers. The soldiers escorted her, grinned as they watched the monster blow up, and started chatting excitedly amongst themselves over the calls and the reasons why they were cultists here. Well, what did you guys find inside? Liz finally went up to ask one of the soldiers with the three stripes on his sleeve, which she remembered as a called sergeant. Nothing much, ma'am, the soldier replied while scratching his bared head before he put his helmet back on again. Most of the demon's body has been destroyed in the place and all of its, um, blood has messed up the entire scene. So what now? Liz frowned as she wondered if they was wasting their time here. The site has been badly contaminated, the sergeant sighed. I doubt we'll be able to find any information or clues here. It seems that the demon worshippers are getting smarter as they had such a demon summoned here. It isn't deadly to anyone if they don't get too close, but at the same time, it ensures that everything in the location gets destroyed. As he finished, a pair of soldiers carrying a backpack and hoses came over. Both of them were dressed in thick jackets and had fully covered face shields. Well, we can only cleanse the place up with fire and destroy all traces of the unclean. The sergeant gave the command, and the pair raised up a nozzle before flames burst out, washing over the decaying worm corpse, setting it burning. Uncharted Forest Drake and Slow carefully watched the orc's movement at the foot of the mountain as they hide amongst the leaves up on the trees. Drake had the whole event on video and the orcs climbing up and down from the side of the mountain before they packed up and headed back to their camp. What is that all about? Drake asked Slow as they slowly climbed down the tree on once the orcs had lifted the area. That's where the hero was sealed, Slow hissed. I remember the other platoon blew the cave up with the remains of the hero inside. Why are they here for his body then? Drake frowned. And how did they know where it was? Don't know, but the human looks like he knew something, he shrugged. Yes, Drake's eyes narrowed. Maybe I should have taken the shot. Slow shrugged again. We have a chance again, no problem. All right, let's follow them and see what they're planning to do with the remains of the hero. Orwell's Point, Marine Stronghold. Kagar felt tired, really tired as she finished another round of divination. She took a sip of overly sweetened tea and sighed happily as the sugar rushed up to her brain. Are you making any sense of this? A voice asked from behind. She turned and saw a stern-looking Joseph, who had a worried frown on his face. He shook her head and replied, I don't know yet. I can tell that the cultists are laying low now and has a plot to overturn the city back to the Empire. Doesn't really make any sense. Why do you think that way? Joseph prodded the beast girl, whose feet barely touched the stone floor as she sat in the tall back chair, swinging her feet and sipping the damn sweet tea of hers. Firstly, why would the Empire work with cultists, Kagar replied. Everyone knows and hates the demon worshippers and cults. It would be the Empire's disadvantage if they were find out. Go on, Joseph nodded encouragingly as he sat on the table facing Kagar. 
Kagar took a sip of her tea and continued, Next, even if the plotters have no idea who they're working with at the start, but word has gotten out that the cult is pulling strings, no one would dare try anything. Joseph nodded again. Yes, we did have a few people come up with reports that their neighbors and certain people are suspected to be part of the cult, but almost all of them turned out to be case of false reports after a detailed investigation. They just want to make use of us to kill their enemies and competition. Kakar dipped her head before saying, Well, that's the nature of people, but uh, I think that's why the cultists are up in arms is probably that we're disrupting the slave trade here. The cult needs bodies for their vile and unclean arts. Kagar shuddered as she felt a chill down her spine when talking about the demonic cults. What easier way for them to have bodies than by getting slaves? Joseph frowned as he thought hard on the point made by Kagar. That is true since the empire allows for the trading of slaves, as long as you have money. No one cares what happens to the slaves. So, by our stopping an end of the trade here in the south, the cults, who normally posed as merchants and buyers, openly are faced with shortage of bodies for their dark arts. That makes sense, Joseph smacked his head. Why didn't I think of that? This is probably why there are so many cultist dens in the city. Kagar smiled, but it's just a thought on my part. It might not be the truth of what's happening here and why the cults are willing to step out. Joseph nodded, yes, but this point at least makes some sense of why they're getting desperate. Anyway, thank you for your help. Joseph gave a rare smile. Get some rest. You look very tired and you'll need your strength in the coming days. We have a lot of fighting to do. Kagar nodded before she hopped off the chair and went off to her bed, leaving Joseph alone in the map room with a few other support techs. He spread his hands over the map and frowned. If the damn cults have set up shop here, we're going to have bad trouble with the Empire coming down on us soon. Damn it, I think we need more reinforcements if we're going to fight on two fronts here. End of chapter. Chapter 247 Mechanisms of Chaos Haven, United Nations Testing Grounds, Hangar 3. No! 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 An angry roar reverberated off the concrete walls of the hangar, echoing loudly as the support techs covered their ears from the outbursts of the angry troll. Magic Mike, dressed only in a pair of work pants, swung his keyboard around madly as he put on a tantrum. Dumb, softy! He growled and gave his keyboard another few swings for good measure before he calmed down and sat down on the floor, facing the bank of three monitors before plugging back into the keyboard mouse carefully to the computer. Tell me, bug! He growled to the M.A.W. crew who was watching his tantrum with amusement. Tell me step by step, tootstead! The crew started explaining what went wrong with the mech and what were the steps before they had done to lead up to the mech having control issues. Magic Mike mumbled to himself while tapping on the keyboard with his oversized fingers. If else... All right, people, Master Sergeant Pike suddenly stormed into the hangar and yelled out. Pick it up and prepare to roll out. We're going to go on live exercises. No, no, no. Magic Mike grumbled from his spot as his fat fingers flew across the keyboard, tabbing rapidly away. Not ready yet. No time, Pike said as he stood next to the sitting troll with his fists on his hips. Save your work and pack it up. The MAWs are moving out. But, but it's still full of bugs. Magic Mike protested and seemed cold by Pike's piercing glare. What bugs? 
Pike asked as he stared down at the troll, who appeared to be squirming on the spot like a child. Stupid Gollum make dance moves still, Magic Mike explained. Need to debug controls or else it keeps dancing. Then you're coming along, Pike replied. Back what you need to fix the bug along the way. Me? Magic Mike looked surprised. But me no warrior anymore, me programmer. Yes, you, since you need to fix the bugs and we need the MAWs in action, Pike said. Now, get to it. All right, boys, pack up everything for transport. Pike roared as the rest of the support mech crew. Bring along the urban warfare kits too. We're going into the sandbox. Uncharted forest or camp. Aaron sat on a camp stool inside the tent and held the trinket in his hand and whispered to it, I found what you required, my master. The wiggly worm-shaped trinkets shimmered and it appeared to come alive in Aaron's hand. A hiss and a tiny forked tongue flickered out of its head while the eyes made a flint came alive. Ice is fuelished. It hissed happily. The tiny golden snake turned and flowed out of Oren's hand and towards the skeletal remains where it were placed on the floor. Ah, the power. The snake appeared to drill into the mummified remains and sounds of bones cracking could be heard as the snake appeared to crush the skeleton in search of something. No! The snake suddenly burst out from the mummified ribs and it screamed in anger. I feel its presence, but it's not here. Iron swallowed nervously as the angry snake wiggled its way up, up his leg and onto his hand again. Find me the sun. Yes, master. Aaron stammered as he exited the tent. He raised his snake to his chest and the snake turned back into a wiggly worm-shaped trinket and his hand suddenly exploded and he screamed in pain. A second later, Aaron's head jerked back and a 6.5mm bullet hit him. Uncharted forest, 347 meters away from the orc camp. Drake and Slow had followed the orcs and the deserter back to the camp without them knowing that they were being trailed. They climbed another tree and settled down to watch the ongoings inside the camp. Where are they bringing the remains of the hero? Drake asked. What do you think that they want to do with it? Hmm, dark magic, Slow guessed. Shamans like dark magic can make free army. So you think they want his body because he used to be a hero? Drake frowned. Will it be very strong if the shamans turn him into a zombie? Maybe, Slow shrugged. Me no shaman, we guess. Drake cursed inwardly as he got into a more stable position on the massive tree branch. He wrapped a quick release cord over his body and tried to the tree, preventing him from accidentally rolling off the branch. Next, he unslung his scoped rifle and deployed the biopods and settled down to scout the camp, aiming at the tent where the deserter and the hero remains were at. The sun had gone down by then and he frowned as he couldn't see what was going on inside the tent. Suddenly, the flaps of the tent burst open and the deserter stood there, wearing a naval security body armor over his local clothes, less the helmet and gauntlets. Drake quickly made a split-second decision and hissed to slow. I'm taking the shot. He centered the crosshair over the body sniper's triangle just as slow called out the distance. Drake barely made any changes to his sights as he was already zeroed in on the tent. He calmed his nerves and released his breath, while his finger gently squeezed down on the trigger, till the shot and kick then recoil came of a surprise. He quickly recentered his scope back onto the target and saw that he shot it just over the deserter's raised hand to his chest. 
He went for the headshot next and fired, and he was worried that the deserter might survive the chest shot as his body armor the deserter was wearing. Not good, Slow suddenly cried out. He not dead. What? Drake cried out and looked through the scope of the target he shot twice. What the frick? Uncharted orc camp. Aaron rolled away from the second shot, blew his left ear off, and glanced the back of his skull. He cursed and screamed loudly in pain, and he rolled to his feet, holding his missing right hand. Assassins! An orc cry went out and the camp suddenly boiled into action. Aaron quickly ducked back into his tent and slumped over the bedrolls in pain. A couple orcs rushed in with weapons drawn as they looked upon Aaron for instructions. Find them! Aaron hissed angrily. Don't kill them yet. I want them alive and in front of me. Go. The orcs bowed and disappeared out of the tent, following his commands while he nursed his wounds. He held up his destroyed hand, and if anyone were to see his hand, they would be surprised that there was barely any blood or gore. Instead, a small cloud of smoke like a wisp of darkness coiled up from his right stump, same as his missing left ear. Slowly, his right hand reformed back into a wisp of dark smoke and he flexed his newly grown hand and touched his left ear, which too had reformed back. The slithering hiss came from the collar as the snake and tendrils of smoke coming off his body slithered out and coiled around his shoulders. Find me, the sun. All your powers will be forfeit. Aaron nodded. I will. Go! Drake dropped down from the tree and ran off towards the direction which they had stashed their dirt bikes. Slow followed behind, his larger frame crashing through the undergrowth as they discarded all notions of stealth. The barks and the howls of the wind wolves rose behind them, and the orcs sent out to search parties to find them. We need to report this, Drake panted as he parkoured through the roots of the trees. We have some big crap going on here. Slow kept quiet as he heaved his body over some roots, just long deep howl came from behind him. They found us. Keep going, Drake cried out as they ran and moved as fast as they could. Stomps and something heavy racing through the woods could be heard behind them as the wolves were released to hunt them down. There! Drake yelled out as they came to a lightning split tree. They branched up a smart camo netting and quickly started the bike engines while Slow hopped on the ASAG. Once the bike was roaring, they swerved in and out around the tree roots and raced off, heading towards the battlefield against the hero as they had planned earlier with the howls of the wolves behind them. Orwell's Point Marine Stronghold. Look, I need to talk with your lord. A voice could be heard yelling from the courtyard. Joseph sighed as he thought of how badly designed the castle was, as he could hear the yells from the courtyard when he was in the third floor. He looked out the window and saw the shabbily dressed ex-slave arguing with the marine guards at the gateway, before he gestured to his aide. Bring him up under escort, let's see what he wants. Yes, sir. Not long after, the ex-slave was brought into the study of the previous owner, which Joseph had converted into his own workspace. M my lord! The ex-slave stammered as he saw Joseph seated behind the desk. I, I bring news! Matthew! Matthew! Joseph sighed dramatically. Tell me, what were the promises you gave me when you wanted to ally with me? Um... Matthew's eyes darted furtively in panic as he tried to avoid the glare from Joseph. I... We... Follow your rules and I... Laws? Yes, rules and laws, 
Joseph repeated his words. Now, some might say rules and laws are meant to be broken, but you, Matthew, you disappoint me. Joseph slapped his desk in mock anger. You want to lead your people. I gave you the power and right to do so. Yet, what did you do? Have secret meetings behind my back? No, no wait, how did you? Matthew's words slowly trailed off as he stared in horror at Joseph. Joseph smiled, knowing his bluff had paid off. He had suspected that Matthew, the representative of the slave faction, had some doings with the meetings that they failed to arrest anyone. I have eyes everywhere, Matthew. You wanted an alliance with me, but where is the trust? Joseph ranted on. How can I trust an ally who meets in secret and makes deals with cultists spine my back? N no! Matthew's eyes went wide in fear. We did not make any deals with the cultists. Then why did you not inform me of their presence in the city? Joseph pressed on. You all should know that they will show chaos within the city. But yet, uh, nothing was reported to us. Tell me, what are you planning? I... Uh, no. Matthew's mouth gasped out and closed like a fish as he tried to find the right words to defend himself, but failed. Lock him up. Joseph waved to his men. We will put out a notice that we have caught an upper management of the ex-slaves to be in league with the cultists. No, not true. Matthew squirmed harder in horror as his arms the marine guards, knowing that the slaves would tear him apart if they thought he was working with the cultists, as they hated them to the core. I speak, I'll tell you what you want to know. Joseph smiled and gestured for his men to pause. So tell me, what was the agenda of the night's meeting, and what plans are you all hatching? Joseph's smile faded as he heard the words Matthew poured out and his face turned grimmer and darker by the time Matthew had finished. So, I guess I was right not to trust you all from the start. Your bloody faction wants to kill everyone and found your own nation. End of chapter. Chapter 248 of Spycraft and Aliens Sin City Hitsu quietly replaced the grate and grabbed a handful of wet sludge and dabbed it on the cracks of the grate where it had been carefully dug out. He crawled his way through the narrow sloping drain and exited out in the waste area near one of the poorer districts of the city. He glanced around the darkness, making sure there was no one wanting to ambush him before he scurried over a small hut which they had secured for their own usage. Using the rain barrel outside, he stripped and took a bar of coarse soap to wash the smell off and cleaned himself up as best he could before entering the hut to clean clothes. Damn, you smell like crap, Alti had commented as he sat on the rafters next to the roof slit where he kept watch of the surroundings. Hitsu ignored the jib and instead stuck a vulgar gesture at Altiad and poured himself a mug of tepid water. Phew, wet work is tough. Anything new to update? Teria asked as he removed a notepad from his pocket. Well, same as usual. Guards rotate on half an hour basis, random patrols on the streets, and the palace is almost impossible to infiltrate. Hitsu replied. Still can't find out what those covered things are in the walls. Ballistas? Maybe a cannon of sorts, Wolf said. I tried to get near one of those covered things, but the orc guard shooed me away before I could even get close. Sarge, I think we got what we needed, Loke said. We know where the factories are, who is running what, and where the deserters are hiding now. Yeah, Young joined in. We should get out and find a nice spot to call it in, and wait to watch the fireworks from the air force. Teria frowned as he waded the intel as he's now the inner city and the deserters. 
Let's go over one more time. I feel like we're missing something here. He unrolled out a crude hand-drawn map which had annotations here and there scribbled on it. The inner city was a ring around the palace where the non-slaves lived. On the northern side of the inner city sat a large walled compound where several large sheds sat, which they had identified as factories. They eavesdropped on the slave workers and heard that this was the place where they were making the assembling the boomsticks of the orcs. Another point of interest was a three-story building that functions as a treasury building of sorts where the orcs transported taxes and goods. Most of the rumors they heard from the slaves said that several of strange beings had short ears lived inside the palace, and those working inside rarely came out of the outer city. We got four locations to hit, Terrier pointed to the map. The factory where they make the guns and ammo, the treasury where the two confirmed deserters are sighted regularly, the palace where the most likely the rest of the deserters are at the end, and the barracks where the stockpiles of weapons are kept. Everyone nodded. But how are we going to hit all four locations with just the seven of us? Loke asked. I plan to have Hitsu and Young leave the city and call it in, Tyria laid out his plan, calling the air force to hit the factory, barracks and treasury, and in the midst of the confusion, we sneak into the palace and take out the high-profile targets, Tyria explained, but I still have a strange feeling here that we're missing something. The rest shrugged as they couldn't answer Tyria's unease. I think it's better we find out what those covered weapons are. I don't want any surprises. Uncharted Forest Corporal Clough gently eased the twin joysticks away from the MAW forward as its six legs climbed over several tree roots and blocked their way. The rhythmic stomping of the legs made it cozy scenery before them were never changing, just trees and more trees. The golem mechs left but quickly recovered as one of the four legs strapped against the side root. Thankfully, the mech was stable enough that the slip barely made it fall, while the gyro stabilizer kept the main hull of the mech level with the uneven terrain. Clove jolted awake as his sergeant at the back compartment cursed. What was that? Nothing, Sarge, just uneven terrain. Clove quickly replied. Ed made good time over the course of a single day due to the trail already being made from construction crews that were making a highway to link the town of Forledge and with further plans to branch off to the highway towards Orwell's Point. Work had stopped temporarily on the roadworks due to the heightened goblin and monster activity as they came out of hibernation. Clove glanced at his monitor, which displayed his rear view, seeing two other MAWs behind him and a line of armored vehicles and trucks following. The turrets of the MAWs were covered in sector as they plowed through the forest. Clove's Unit 02 was leading the way followed by Unit 01 and 03 brought up the rear. His mech had a 3-inch dub cannon facing forward, while 01 had a cannon covering the right, and 03's cannon was covering the left. The stub cannons allowed for turrets to rotate freely within the forest without hitting the trees, unlike if they used a long barrel. The velocity of the cannon was lowered and the range and accuracy reduced, but it allowed for the turret to fight in a more enclosed area. He stifled the yawn and grinned as he returned his attention back to the forest ahead, making sure not to repeat the same mistake and slip again. Soon, another five days or so, they would reach Orwell's Point and Clove would not wait to fight and test this baby out in real combat. Think they found us? Drake whispered as he and Slow huddled down inside a hollow of roots. He had abandoned his bike after running out of fuel, hiding it away as best he could while he rode shotgun behind Slow on the little ASAG column. 
Slow gave a shrug as he removed the last of their dung bombs. He tossed it out from their location and settled it into a hollow where it was quite cramped as both he and Drake were sharing it. Asagi crouched outside, hugging itself, making it look like a block of rock as it blended in with the surroundings. They could sleep and rest as Asagi did not really require sleep and it would alert them of any approaching dangers. And with the dung bombs made from the high-level monster, its scent would scare away the majority of the monsters in the vicinity. They'd been on the run from the pursuing orcs for two days, barely managing to keep ahead of them most of the time. The wooden wolves had an uncanny ability to keep picking up the trail despite their best efforts of evasion, which was probably negated by the unique noise made by the motorcycle's engine. After ditching the motorcycle, they managed to finally lose their pursuers and could settle down to rest. We need to get somewhere where we can get a signal out, Drake said. Command needs to know about something is fricked up about all this crap. Though nodded as he sacked in a pack of jello. Bad magic. UNS Singapore, Captain's Quarters. Captain Blake rubbed his face as he ended a voice conference with Joseph at Orwell's Point. Demons, cultists, slave revolts, deserters. He sighed and felt very tired. And I told that we've actually stable foothold in this place, some sort of peace and stability. But no, more unknown variables and mind-blowing crap just keep dropping on our laps one by one. Commander Ford gave a bark of laughter which made Blake confused. What's so funny? Well, sir, Ford smiled, I've been thinking like letting my mind go free, you know, like what Dr. Sharon would say. We cannot force our common sense on our world into this planet here, Ford explained. If we keep thinking that the elves are like humans, then we will be in deep crap. They are aliens, simple as that, Ford continued, and aliens won't make sense to us, same as we don't make sense to them as we are aliens to them. But in this case, they have a wide variety of species and, um, cultures. So, you're saying because I'm humanizing them all along, Blake frowned. In a way... Yes, I guess, Ford shrugged. Subconsciously or not, we kind of see them as humans with human needs, but they are not humans, no matter how genetically alike they look to us. Well, I guess you're right, Blake sighed. Well, we now have alien cultists and a potential alien revolt on our hands, not mentioning those criminals still running amok somewhere, churning out guns to a bunch of superhuman greenskins. Let's settle one issue at a time for now, Ford grinned. Look, at the home front is stable now, even with the goblins popping out like rabbits here and there. The LDF can take care of them. You have sent out half of the 3rd Battalion and those new toys of yours to reinforce Joseph, so I'm pretty sure that they can handle it. So what else are you worried about, Ford asked. Cultists, demons, aren't Joseph doing fine so far? And Magister Thorne and the mage girl and that cat girl Aida's princess is down there to help handle things. Why still so worried? I don't know, Blake replied. I just have a bad feeling. <laughs> Could it be because your wedding that's coming up soon? Ford smiled, having the jitters. Damn, that's still quite a few months away, Blake waved away Ford's teasing. How about your naval side? Any plans on the island whales? Ford continued smiling and said, well, there's like tons of suggestions on what and how to handle the giant turtles. Some want to be floating battery come airbase, others battleships, or some even suggested submersible base. Well, we did think of all of that, but some observations and findings of the wildlife team, Ford explained. They are not suitable for anything else, but maybe as a mining node for those energy crystals. 
Firstly, these creatures are actually pretty shy. The wildlife team speculated that they were willing to allow us contact with them due to us saving and protecting them from the purple squid, Ford said. Loud noises also don't do well for these creatures. Secondly, the island portion on their backs of our turtles is not 100% soil or rocks. It seems that it's an organic mixture of living tissues and soil. So, no deep treading or construction on their backs. We probably injured them if we do so. Ford continued saying, and as for the submersible base, these creatures appeared to not dive or go underwater at all. The plants in the back absorb sunlight and it directly feeds it to them, Ford said. Also, we have no idea how to control them, so they can't even be a ship to transport anything. Wait, what? Blake was surprised. So they're like feeding on sonar energy? Yeah, in a way. Dr. Sharon can probably explain it in more detail, but it absorbs energy from the sun via the plants on its back and at the same time feeding plankton off the surface of the sea, Ford replied. The energy crystals are formed from excess energy, sort of like our fats that are stored in our bodies, Ford continued. Well, I am thinking of some ways to allow the turtles to stay amongst our waters, but we don't know how to entice them yet. Hell, if we know how to control them, we can use them as a heavy cargo freighter. End of chapter. And that, my friends, concludes this video. I hope that you enjoyed. If you did, please consider supporting the author from the link down below. Otherwise, if you wish to support this channel, there are numerous ways to do so, like liking, subscribing, and possibly even becoming a patron. Otherwise, the easiest way would be to share. And until the next video, I hope that you all have a good one, and I'll see you then. Cheers.